That's fine. I hope you feel safe. Hope you're in your safe place this morning. Hey, look, welcome to Next. I'm so glad that all of you are here today, and uh, we we are honored that you would come, especially on a day like today. I know it's hard to get out and that stuff, and you just want to stay in your warm spots wherever you are, but it means a lot to us that you would come in today. And podcasters, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, we appreciate you listening in today as well. Listen, we just uh, we hope that we add value to your life today. We hope that you leave out of here feeling like uh, you've been encouraged, you've been inspired. Uh, I like to challenge you. I like to motivate you as well. But I just hope by the time that you leave today, you feel like, you know what, it was worthwhile. It was worthwhile for me to be there today. And if that happens, we'll feel like that we have accomplished our purpose. Now, today is the final installment in our series, The Proving Ground. Uh, comes from the book, The Proving Ground by Kevin Gerald, nine tests that prove your potential. Over the last three weeks, we have heard from some great guest speakers. We heard from Aaron Duran, who talked to us about the wilderness test. We heard from Brother Brian Tier, who talked to us about the authority test. And then last week, Pastor was here, and he talked to us about the offense test, and all of them were just excellent. Before that, earlier on in our series, we heard from Nathan Henson, who talked to us about the motivation test. And we also heard from Dave Bunch, who talked to us about the wilderness test. And every single one of them, they were great. Uh, They were unique. They were authentic. Uh, Each week was just another highlight for me personally. And uh, even though not all of these tests were mine, um, I still got something out of every single one of them. And I found them all worthwhile. Um, But I want to say again how much I appreciate these men and their influence in my life and their friendship, and their commitment to bringing high-quality, high-value presentations to all of us here and next. Now, if you missed any of those talks, they're all on the podcast. I encourage you to go back and give them a listen. Uh, Very easily accessible through the website or the Grace Church app. This week, uh, finishing up and and rounding out our series, I want to talk to you and to me about the Lordship test, the Lordship test. Now, some of you may have seen my next remind. How many of you are getting next reminds? A few of you, okay. A few of you have turned it off, and that's fine. But uh, I try to not over-communicate too much. Usually on Thursday, after you've had some time to get through the middle of your week, I'll send you out something to remind you. But um, if if you got the next remind this past Thursday morning, you you saw where I said, folks, you're going to want to hear this one. And that wasn't just promotion. It was promotion. Uh, I wanted you to come, but uh, it wasn't just promotion. Because after going through this chapter and chewing on it, I, I feel differently about this one than I do any of the others. I think, and this is my personal opinion, but I feel like this one on the Lordship test is unique in that we are in this test constantly. We don't live day-to-day in the wilderness test. I hope you don't. If you do, your life is miserable. I mean, hopefully you go through periods of wilderness and then you come out, and sometimes some wildernesses are worse than others, but hopefully you don't just live in the wilderness all of the time. That would be terrible. I don't believe that's God's will for you. And, And hopefully you're not constantly struggling with right responses to bad authority. You shouldn't constantly be struggling with right responses to bad authority uh, because not every authority in your life is bad. And you shouldn't always struggle with, y'all get my point. Uh, I hope you're not constantly struggling with the offense test. 
I, you shouldn't be. That shouldn't be a constant thing going on with you. But this one, this lordship thing, next year, I got to tell you, I'm really thinking that this one is an everyday thing. Kevin Gerald doesn't say that. He doesn't say that in the book. That's just Jason saying that. So, you know, apply whatever weight to that you will. But it just seems like the lordship test is a constant in the life of every believer. So let, let's get into it today and, and talk about the Lordship test. And we're having some technical difficulties. I don't know if all of the slides that I sent and the scriptures that I sent are going to appear up there. Uh, if you need something repeated, just yell at me and, and I'll repeat it. Because, you know, if you're writing stuff down, sometimes if you're writing stuff down, sometimes uh, you may not get it all as I go through it. Hint, hint. But uh, let's talk about the Lordship test. The Lordship test occurs... Whenever you are in a position or a situation where you must choose to obey God over your personal preference and natural instincts. The Lordship test occurs whenever you find yourself in a situation where you have to choose to obey God over your personal preference and your natural instincts. Now, every chapter that we've gone through in this book comes with a question. So here's our key question, and boy, is this one a doozy. Here it comes. Do you accept that God's way is always right? Do you accept that God's way is always right? Let's look at some scripture to begin. Context matters, right? Luke chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. This is right after the Last Supper and the First Communion, just a few hours before Jesus is arrested, tried, scourged, and crucified. And Jesus knows what's coming, and he's praying. So in Luke chapter 22, oh, you got it. Awesome. Luke chapter 22 in the NIV verse 42 says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Watch this next part. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus is he's facing a crossroad. The pain and the suffering of the cross is, is just hours away at this point. And he has a choice to make. He can either deny his flesh and submit to his Father's will, or... He can submit to his flesh and deny his father's will. And he's pretty transparent about how he feels in this moment. It's the same story, but a different gospel than Matthew chapter 26, verse 38. He's talking to his disciples. It says, and then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He's pretty transparent about how he's feeling in this moment. I am over. I am so overwhelmed by what I'm facing and what I'm going through with this choice that I'm going forward with. I am so overwhelmed. I feel like I am about to die. Anybody ever felt that way? Overwhelmed to the point of death. So he goes farther into the garden and he falls on his face and he starts to pray. It's always a good thing to do whenever you're feeling that overwhelmed. Pray, right? So he goes in and he prays, and this is what he says. He says, Dad, if it's possible for your plan 
to be accomplished in my life without me drinking from this cup that is full of suffering and death that has been prepared and is on its way. If it's possible for this plan to be accomplished any other way, then take this cup away from me. Let's do something else. But, Dad, that's what I want. But I don't, I'm not choosing what I want. I choose what you want. So let it be done according to your will and not mine. Now, that's the, that's the JCV, right? That's the Jason Cooper version. And this, guys, this is the tension that all of us go through with the lordship test crunched down into a microcosm of a moment. When God tells you to do something and the doing of that thing contradicts your own instincts and you have to decide who you're going to obey. This is the test that proves how much you're going to let God be the Lord and leader of your life. And it comes down to one word, trust. Who do you really trust? There's so many different ways you could emphasize that sentence. Who do you really trust? Who do you really trust? I want to focus on that one. Who do you really trust? Do you really trust God or do you really trust you? Let's dig into that question a little bit and talk about trusting in God. You know, every four years, well, it seems now just like it goes on all of the time, and it's not just every four years, but we in America find ourselves uh, subjected to the choice of going back into the voting booth. Right and electing or re-electing another president. And for believers, for Christians, it's another opportunity for, for us to pass or fail the lordship test because without fail, every election cycle, you will hear believers in every political party begin to panic as if God is the one who is up for re-election or as if God is the one who's about to lose majority in the Senate. And that, that same panic sets in whenever, whenever our world faces major turmoil, right? Whenever a, a regime change happens in another political hotspot or there's another dictator who's killing his own people or, you know, natural disasters, these terrible earthquakes and hurricanes and tsunamis. And while I believe that God's people should always strive to take action, and influence progress in our communities and in the world around us. Folks, we, we got to remember something. God isn't a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or even a Libertarian. He doesn't belong to a political party. God isn't panicking over what was just played on CBS or CNN or Fox News. God isn't anxious over what's trending on Twitter. It doesn't really bother him. He loves Vladimir Putin and wants to see him saved. He loves Kim Jong-il and wants to see him saved, but he's not frustrated or confounded by either one of them. God's not up there in heaven saying, man, 
those crazy Russians, those North Koreans, I sure didn't see this coming. I sure hope Donald Trump knows what to do because I'm at a complete loss. That's, that's, that's not coming out of God's mouth. Are we really, we're talking about trusting in God. Are we really worried that God doesn't have any experience with getting his people through hard times? Collectively or individually? Newsflash. God hasn't run out of his capacity to work all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. He's still very, very capable of doing that. The same God that delivered his people from slavery at the hands of the most powerful nation on the planet then saw those same people through battles against overwhelming odds to take possession of a land that wasn't theirs, then brought them back to their homes more than once whenever they were exiled, then brought Jesus into the world in the middle of a Roman occupation and has now grown his people from one man in Abraham to 12 disciples to now billions of people around the planet. That's pretty amazing. You're telling me that that God can't handle Washington and social media? Come on, man. Come on, man. Say it like Keyshawn does. My trust in God, Steve, my trust in God is not based on current events or my current situation. It's not based on my feelings in the moment, Tanya. It can't be. My trust in God cannot be based on those things. Because here's the danger. In this life, I'm going to experience some things that I don't agree with, some things that just didn't work out the way that Jason Cooper wanted them to, and it's going to hurt my feelings, Brian. It's going to leave me feeling puzzled and confused. It's going to happen. And if I constantly try to manipulate the results of every situation that comes up in my life, it's going to lead to anxiety. It's going to lead to negativity, complaining, and disobedience. Every political debate, every world crisis, every social issue, every injustice, every protest, every uprising is another opportunity, guys, for us to trust God. But don't go to the other end of the spectrum either. Right? Because on one end of the trust spectrum is all of the stuff like anxiety and negativity and worry and manipulation and disobedience. We don't want that. That's faithlessness. That's not good. That's bad. Look at your neighbor telling them that's bad. We don't want to be. We don't want to be on that end of the spectrum. But the other end of the spectrum is something just as bad. That's called passivity. And this is the battle for every believer. See, if we aren't careful, we can let God's sovereignty and omnipotence and our knowledge of his lordship turn into passivity on our part as we fail to take action where we can, you know, thinking, ah, God will take care of it. Ah, I see that person hurting over there. Ah, God will take care of it. She just lost her best friend. 
She just had to move away from where she lived. He just like, ah, God will take care of it. Slow your roll there, Flash, because you've got some personal responsibility. Smart people, very smart people, way smarter than me, have been debating this for years. They've been debating this tension between God's sovereignty and man's free will for centuries. And one side says, well, if God wills it, it's going to happen. There's just not anything you can do about it. And the other, other side says, well, God gave free will to humanity so that they can ultimately decide. So listen, here's my advice. I don't know the answer. I'm just going to tell you, don't get locked up in a dumb dichotomy thinking it's got to be one or the other because it's both. It's both. God's will is that we, we would will his will. How do you like that? God's will is that we would will his will. And that means while we can take great comfort in the fact that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and very much in control, we must also take great honor and pride in the fact that we have an opportunity to carry out His plans and purposes here on the earth. So how do we do that? I mean, how do you live with that tension? How do I trust God to be God, if I can say it this way, and still fight for the things that I believe in? How do I trust God to be God and still play a role in the needs that I see in this world? How do I stand up for what's right and let God still do his thing? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. How about that? Sunday school, right? Because the Israelites faced the same tension. See, at one point, they, were, they had been brought out of Egypt, and they were now finally moving into the promised land. But the promised land was occupied by all of these different tribes and some of them are very warlike and at one point as they were moving in they found themselves waging war in a in a way that was very different from their enemies and the other people around them and in one of it in, in one of his final instructions to the people in the book of Deuteronomy Moses is talking to him and he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1 he said he says this when you go to war against your enemies and seek horses and chariots and an army greater than yours do not be afraid of them because the Lord you God, your God, the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, remember that, will be with you. Now here's the context. Israel was facing armies that possessed four horse chariots, chariots drawn by four horses. It's an, it's, it was an intimidating weapon. It was a tactical advantage. And Israel didn't have any of those. Not one. Zero. And it would be similar to think like a, a modern-day U.S. Army, Kelton, a, a modern-day infantry division with no artillery, no heavy weapons, and no air support facing a division that had tanks. No commander in their right mind would send them out against that. But Moses is reminding them, hey, guys, y'all remember the Egyptians? You remember that army that you saw God drown in the Red Sea? You remember that part? Because they had chariots too. And the same God that delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians in your past is the same God that's going to be with you in the battles of your future. So for us today, here's the practical application because we're not facing four-horse chariot armies. But for us today, the, the, the same is true because the same God that was with the Israelites then is with us now. 
The same God who defeated death through the resurrection of Jesus is with us now. So in the middle of what may seem like death, doom, gloom, and destruction, gloom, despair, and agony, oh me, thank you, hee-haw, and, you, you know, we look at it and we think the whole country's just gone to the devil. You got Russia and China and ISIS and Nancy Pelosi. I'm sorry. But anyway, you got all of this stuff, man, all this stuff going on. Remember, we do not need to fight our battles the same way the world wages war. The social media temper tantrums, the drive-by media smear campaigns, the negative conversations, watch me now, the dishonoring language, the lies, the deception, the abuse and the misuse and the disregard for people, no matter who they are, where they come from, their sexual persuasion or anything else. Those are all weapons that the world may use. And those are ways that the world may try to claim victory. But guys, that is just not our way. So Moses went on to tell the people in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. Don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't panic. Don't be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Just like the psalmist said in, chapter, in, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. He said, some trust, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So passing the lordship test it's going to require us to trust the ways of God, to trust his ways as we love and pray for people instead of tearing them down on social media or elsewhere. Passing the lordship test is going to require us to stay true to who we are and avoid being sucked into the black hole of negativity around the lunch table at work. Woo. Preach it, Jason. It's going to require us to love people and not target them because we know that they aren't the enemy and they aren't the source of the darkness. Keep that in mind as you interact with your family this holiday season. Paul said, look, we don't, Paul said this, he told, he told the Ephesian church, we don't need the weapons of this world. You know why? Because we're not fighting that type of battle. Use the, use the right weapons for the type of battle that you're in. You're not fighting that type of battle. He told them in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's why we need to be careful about what weapons and what words we use to fight with. Make sure we're using the appropriate words and weapons for the battle that we're really in. We can be a part of the solution to the problems and issues in this world, but if we want to pass, the, I mean, get involved with the community, do all of those things to help and, and be a part of solving issues, but if we want to pass the lordship test, we've got to fight our battles God's way. You know why? 
because God's way is always right. His way is always right. Do you believe that? Don't raise your hand. But I mean, really, like, think about that for a second. Because it's easy to just blaze through this question. But do you really believe? Do you really believe that God's ways are always right? Because, you know, we live in this time, in this culture of, of postmodern relativism, Rachel, where everything's relative. There are no absolutes. Everything's just a big smear of gray, and there is no black and white. So in, in that type of society that, that we're living in today, do you believe in what is probably the single most crucial absolute to being a Christian? And that being the belief that God is always right. If you believe that, then that belief is verification of his lordship in your life. But that belief also has one pretty major implication that you need to be aware of. And here it is. If God is always right. And the way that we know God is through his word then that means that we are bound to his word as the source for what is always right. Y'all with me? Does anybody in here, I, I don't think you do, but I'm going to ask a question because I know, I know a few uh, people that do. Does anybody in here own a Tesla vehicle? No hands up anywhere. All right, that's cool. Uh, if you did, do you think that it might be a good idea to pay attention to the instructions? Like, I don't even know how those are delivered with a Tesla. Like, it's probably like a tutorial or something. I don't know that you watch a video on the screen in the car. But do you think if you own the Tesla, you might want to pay attention to the instructions? Why? Why do you think that would be a good idea? Because to disregard the instructions and the guidelines for operation might break your vehicle and might be cause to be concerned for your personal safety, right? Might threaten the condition of the vehicle if you ignore what the engineers, designers, and builders put in place to tell you, hey, this is how this car operates. In fact, I bet the manufacturer's warranty on your brand-new Tesla is only valid if you, the owner observe and adhere to the manual. Like, you know, you can do things to void the warranty. You find that out if you ever try to change your iPhone screen by yourself. Yeah, You just voided your warranty, Chance. So look, like the Bible is, is God's instruction manual for life. It's written by God to you about him. And, and a dedicated observation and adherence to the instructions in the Bible is going to bring about the best possible results for you. Look at, look at what it says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. He said, keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be, I like these next few words, prosperous. And successful. 
So when people trust God and trust that he's always right and do the things the way his word says to do them, Joshua is saying that they're going to be prosperous and successful in the ways that God defines those words. And since God is always right, then his definitions of prosperity and success are the ones that matter most. On the other hand, on the other hand, other hand, other hand, though, disregard and lack of attention to God's guidelines will cause you to lose the benefits of God's guarantees for life. Just something for you to consider whenever you think about who has lordship. I want to wrap this up with just two more points for your consideration. And then uh, if we have time, we'll get to some next steps. Got to hurry. But I want to talk to you first about your lifestyle lean, your lifestyle lean. And then I want to talk to you about the feast or famine principle. So let's talk about your, your lifestyle lean. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, y'all have heard this one before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean, lean not to your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Yet the Cooper family, uh, who I sometimes refer to as CF5, uh, has been at Grace Church for around eight and a half years. And uh, we've been in some type of leadership role for about eight of those eight and a half years. Before that, uh, our former church at First Church, we were there for about 20 years. And filled much the same capacities that we do here. My point is, like many of you, um, I've been around a lot of church. And uh, I've watched a lot of people come in. And I've watched a lot of people go out. And I've watched some of those people come back. And everybody, just, just watch people. I mean, pay attention to Jesus, but watch people too. Because it's fascinating. Everybody comes in with some type of lean. Some people lean toward their worries and fears. Some people lean toward their hurts and defenses. Some people lean toward their opinions and preferences and traditions. Some people lean toward their dreams and their ambitions, but... Everybody comes in with a lean, and some people never get out of it. Some people do, and they, they find a better way, but, but here it is. They, they pass the lordship test day in and day out by abandoning their tendency to lean on their own understanding and learn a different lifestyle, one of leaning away from their way and leaning into God's understanding. And his way of doing things. And here's the great news. When they do that, when you do that, when I do that, whenever we find that better way and we stop leaning on our own ways and start leaning into his understanding, whenever we do that, it will allow God's blessings to flow. Look at what the Bible says. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I know he's writing to the children of Israel, but all Scripture says in the New Testament in the book of Timothy, is good for instruction, reproof, correction, all of that, right? And doctrine. So what he said to the nation of Israel 
applies in many ways to the church today. And this is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 28. If you will fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth in, like that one, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then Moses lists them all out, all of the blessings associated with giving God lordship. And here comes the list. Here it comes. The first one is blessings on your journey. Don't have those up there. Okay, that's good. We'll just keep rolling. The blessings on your journey. In Deuteronomy 28, he says, you will be blessed in the city and you will be blessed in the country. So blessings on your journey. Blessing number two, the blessing on your descendants. Because in Deuteronomy 28 and 4, it says, the fruit of your womb will be blessed. So blessings on your journey, blessing on your descendants. Here's number three, the blessing on your possessions, Deuteronomy 28, 4 and 5. And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. Number four, there will be blessings on your battles. 28 and 7, the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. That's cool. I like that one. And here's the fifth one. We can get on board with this one. A blessing on your finances. Hallelujah. That's what he said. Deuteronomy 28, verse 8, and then 11 through 12. The Lord will send you a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord, listen to this. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations but borrow from none. He needs to tell Chase Bank that. Or whoever it is that has our mortgage. We've sold that thing about 15 times. That's, that's awesome stuff, man. Wow, look at all these blessings. And notice, these are blessings, not bribes. God's not into it, not into the whole bribery thing. He's not bribing you to do something that you don't want to do. It's not like, here, look, I know you don't really want to do this, but if you'll do it, I'll give you all of this cool stuff. It's not a bribe. It's a blessing. He created, this is, this is how it works. He created a, a physical and a spiritual universe to respond favorably to, to, to corresponding actions. Okay, you take a fish out of water, long enough, what happens to it? It dies. You put a human in water long enough, what happens? It dies. You drop a penny from the top of a skyscraper, what happens? It falls. You let a penny go whenever you're in outer space, you've got bigger problems, but what happens? It doesn't fall. It responds to other forces. Why? Because there are certain physical laws just built into the universe. It just works certain ways. Our obedience to the Bible is our obedience to God's knowledge of those laws that are built into creation. If you obey those laws, blessings follow. Don't obey those laws, and other things happen. And look, you can rail against the law of gravity all you want to. 
You can tell just how unfair and rotten the law of gravity is. But that's not going to change its impact on you. Likewise, you can nitpick about God's laws for living a blessed life, but don't think that doesn't change their influence. It's built into the universe. It's working on you all the time. Y'all think about it. So let me ask you, are you leaning a certain way? Try leaning more into his way. Try leaning more into his understanding and see what happens. It'll be a blessing to you. All right, we're going to finish up. Last point, and this is the feast or famine principle. The feast or famine principle. You know, many of us are able to recognize the lordship of God during times of blessing. Whenever we're enjoying the feast, right? Health's good, job's good, relationships are good, future's so bright, got to wear shades, all that. But what about whenever the famine comes around? What about during the difficult times? When you're missing some things, lacking some things, hurting for some things, and the job's not so good, and the marriage isn't so good, and the kids have gone crazier than what they've ever been, and what then? What do you do then? What do you do in times of famine? Look at what God said to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. So now we got like one famine on the back of another famine. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar, and the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, don't go down to Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. And I will be with you and bless you. There's a famine. We're an agricultural society. I got a bunch of herds. And we need grass to eat and water to drink. And there's a famine. And God said, uh-huh. Stay where you are. Live in this land for a while, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to bless you. For to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the earth that I swore to your father Abraham. Watch this. God wanted Isaac to stay in this land even though there was a famine. He told him, listen, Isaac, I know it's not looking good right now, but stay this course and trust me through the famine. Because if you leave this area that I've instructed you to stay in, you're going to put yourself out of position for my blessing that your father put you in position for. As long as you stay where you're at, you stay in position for my blessing. Don't take yourself out of it because of the current situation. Passing the lordship test means that I give him lordship. I give him final say. Whatever the season of life I'm currently in, if I'm in a feasting season or a famine season, he still has final say. That's passing the Lordship test. So look, way back, way back, I want you all to think long time ago, 1992, a guy named Gary Chapman wrote this book called The Five Love Languages. And it explains the five different categories that people fit into whenever it comes to feeling love from others. 
You know, some of us feel loved whenever we receive a gift. Some of us feel loved whenever we hear words of affirmation. Some of us feel loved through acts of service done for us. And then there's physical touch and quality time. That's all five. But a major tenet of the book is that problems in, the, in relationships often can be a result of us expressing our love in ways that make us feel loved, but they don't make our spouse or our family member or significant other feel loved. In other words, we're fishing with bait we like, not bait they like. Is that one way to put it, right? Whenever you go fishing, you fish with the bait the fish likes, right? So because it, it, it works like this. If my, primary, uh, if my primary love language is words of affirmation, and I write this beautiful, romantic, iambic pentameter verse to Julia in a very heartfelt way and give it to her, but her primary love language is acts of service, she might appreciate the letter, but what would really make her feel loved is for me to cook dinner and clean the kitchen on Monday night. I'm giving you so much practical marriage advice right now. Uh, there's, oh, there's so many things I want to say right now. I'm just going to keep on rolling, though. You know what God's love language is? Jesus tells us. And since he was God made flesh, we probably ought to listen. This is what he said in John chapter 14. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my commandments will obey my teaching, it says in the NIV. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, but they come from the Father who sent me. He said it again in John 15. So now, he didn't say it once. He said it twice. And if Jesus says something twice, I think we ought to pay attention. So this is in John 15. So like this the next chapter over. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What's God's love language? Seems to me, Jesus said it was obedience. He wanted us to get it, so he, you know, he said it twice. This is how we show our love to God, by passing the lordship test in our daily lives. Not in the one single grand gesture, but in our daily lives, day in, day out, the small choices and the big choices. Love isn't known until it's shown. And the way we show our love to him is by doing the things that he's told us to do. And that takes a certain amount of trust. Let me give you some next steps real quick, and we'll go. So what are, here's your next steps. What are some decisions you can make today that will help you obey God faster in the future? That's a mouthful. But what are some steps, some decisions that you can make today that will help you obey God faster in the future? Maybe there's, there's something that's been on your heart to start doing, and you just haven't yet for whatever reason. Something that just, it, it like bugs you all the time. I really need to start doing this. And you just haven't. Start doing it. It's so simple. Maybe there's been something on your heart that you need to stop doing. And you just haven't yet for whatever reason. 
well, stop doing it and stop today. What's, a, what's one thing, what's a, what's a decision you could make that will help you obey God faster? It might be doing that thing that's been on your heart to do or stop doing that thing that you just don't really need to do. Here's number two, though. Choose one way that you can step toward God's plan this week. Choose one way that you can step toward God's plan this week. It might be reading a devotion. It might be starting a Bible reading plan. It might be setting aside a specific time for prayer every day. It might be writing down three specific needs in your life and praying them every time you eat a meal. Before I eat breakfast, before I eat lunch, and before I eat dinner, before I eat that little Debbie cake at 9 o'clock at night, I'm going to pray these three things. And you start to associate eating with those three needs in your life, and you pray them every time. That's practical. Maybe you need to order a book about a spiritual question you've had for a long time. Hey, Jason, I just don't really understand this. Okay, well, Amazon, Google, order the book and read it. Choose one way that you could make a step toward God. Write it down because it's not real until you do and start working on it. The Lordship test. All the time. Every day. Every day. It's there. Next week, um, we're going to do something meaningful. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. If you're here and in town, I would love for you to come and be a part of it. Uh, We hope to see you here. Otherwise, we hope that all of you have a very Merry Christmas and enjoy your, your Christmas time and your New Year's with your family. God bless you. Let's go. We're late. See you in big church.